Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Mickey Willis, who you might recall from last year is responsible for producing the viral video, Plandemic. And he's written a new book of the same name. Uh, interestingly, he, his background is uh, pretty much uh, that of a progressive liberal and skeptic. And he came into this, he was a promoter, uh, supporter of Bernie Sanders. And, and as he uh, and did some work for him and guess became progressively disillusioned and then shifted things. But what I'm really particularly impressed with is his, uh, uh, and, and anyone really that comes into this is if they're honest and open and objective and seeking and have integrity and seek to find the truth it seems like it's inevitable that they're going to reach the same conclusion. So that's exactly what Mickey did. He's put together an astounding piece of work in this book that really capsulizes and summarizes much of the details of what it is. And it's just a tremendous work. And we're going to talk to him today about the book. So welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Dr. McCullough. It's great to be here. So I think for those few who haven't uh, seen your initial video that went just viral, I think it's a real fascinating story. You, it was really the catalyst for so many others that followed. So maybe just, just talk about that story and then we can progress into the book. Well, I had met Judy Michaelvitz, who is the featured virologist in Plandemic One. I'd met her about a year and a half before the pandemic was announced. And at the time, I was uh, when it was announced, I was working on a film called The Narrative, which was to really pull back the curtain on mainstream media and and the way that it's been infiltrated and has affected the global consciousness. And in the process of doing this, uh, the whistleblowers that I was interviewing for the movie, uh, a few, several of them had had warned me and said that there's a false flag coming very soon. And for those of you who don't know what a false flag is, it, means an event that is that takes place that diverts the world's attention and or um, you know subverts the the consciousness uh, such that we'll vote for war or or, or 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 some kind of an action overseas or something like that so it's some kind of an event that will cause you know some kind of a a, a, re a reaction and uh, so they said yeah this is coming we're pretty sure about it because of every everything that we've been looking into and these are people from top agencies that really know what they're talking about all whistleblowers and, and most of them remain anonymous and so i was on the on the lookout for this and then suddenly when the pandemic was announced i reached out to judy michaelvitz because we had met as i said a year and a half before and i asked her i said what do you think's going on here and i went and met with her in person and she started to break it down for me and it seemed so viable that I said, you know, let's stop what we're doing and go to my studio, sit down and do this on camera. Cause I think that the, the world deserves to hear this information. Yeah, so that was this, the catalyst for it, but I'm particularly curious to hear you relay the details of, of how it exploded and went viral and then how it was censored. Oh, okay. That, uh, this is an amazing story. 
Well, we released the first pandemic on May the 4th, and it was kind of a, a little joke within our office because we pushed the button and said, may, may the 4th be with us. And, <laughs> and uh, we knew that it would go viral. We've made a lot of videos through the years, and we know that, you know, how to hit the mark is in terms of timing. We always ask ourselves, what 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 does the the population, what do they what do they want to hear and say right now? And, and that's kind of a, been, become a formula for us to really keep a, a track of the pulse of the people to find out where they are. And this, of course, was on everyone's mind. So we knew that it would, it would get some traction out there. But of course, you, you can never predict that a video uh, would be seen over a billion times. I think it was the first one, definitely the first of a docu documentary nature to achieve that. And so we, um, we just posted the, the video on my Facebook page and really didn't have much of a network at the time, but, but the, the real secret to the virality, there, there were two different, um, I would say spices in that formula that, that made it possible. And that is the mainstream media's censorship made everyone want to see it even more. It's unbelievable to me that they haven't learned their lesson yet, that it's, you know, that we, we learn this as parents and as children, that when we're told not to cross the street, you know, eventually we have to cross that street. And the more that the media told everyone to look away and, and there's nothing there to see and uh, that it really made people curious and, and really want to see it even more. But the technical strategy that we used to allow the film to not just be shut down immediately, was I, because I have a, a background in digital distribution, I knew that if we would, were to host the video on any one particular site, that that site would be zapped and the video would be gone instantly. And so you kind of have to think uh, opposite of, of where we are right now. And that is where everyone's looking to collect clicks or traffic to, so they can turn on commercials and earn, <clears throat> earn money from that. We had to look at it from a, a different perspective and say, this is a gift for the people. And so we want you to have the file, download it yourself, upload it yourself. It's your movie. There's no restrictions. We did not, you know, cease and desist, you know, anyone at all from the, the use of our movie, even if they wanted to profit on it themselves, that was up to them. And so everyone downloaded the link and then uploaded it to their to their social networks. And in doing so, the the censors, the gatekeepers, had a really hard time. It wasn't just one or three or four, you know, centralized locations. It was millions of people all all of the world sharing it. And so that's really uh, allowed it to 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 go as far as it did. And how many uh, total views do you think it had? Well, the the first pandemic was well over one billion. And one the, billion. One wow. billion. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, translated into, you know, probably 20 languages at this point. And then the, the second one has received somewhere over 200 million, which is really great for a, a, a film of that size. It's 70 some minutes. And also uh, considering the fact that by that point, uh, all of big tech had censored the word pandemic. And so it made the it made its reach that much more difficult. So we're working on strategies now to overcome that aspect of, of censorship. And the second film was the one that primarily featured David Martin. That's right. We call that one pandemic indoctrination mm -hmm. featuring the brilliant David Martin, who has been, you know, tracking white collar crime for a number of years, a couple of few decades at this point, and has invented some of the technologies that allow for the, the really tracing the paper trails of patents and, and where how money has moved around and all of that. So we decided in Pandemic 2 to really follow the paper trail. And I, I will say that I'm very glad that we made that decision because uh, it has been bulletproof and every single claim that David Martin made in the film has been 100% uh, 
validated at this point, and it's really helped. Uh, he's the one that actually helped to educate Rand Paul and Ron Johnson when they started to go after Fauci to finally hold him accountable for his decades of crimes. Yeah, he, he's certainly compiled a lot of useful information on that area and really yeah. that it pro providing uh, a motivation, a justification as to why this whole process was started. Uh, th there are others who have looked into the actual um, science of the virus being of lab origin versus of, from nature that I think have done really good work also in proving relative, pretty definitively that it's from it's a lab made virus. So. But, but the two of these uh, forces together, it would seem any logical, rational individual have no other conclusion but to, 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 to determine that this, this was a lab-made virus and the reasons for it are the ones that Do Dr. Martin has uncovered. So maybe you could summarize some of his findings because he really, really is a brilliant researcher and clearly dedicated and committed to the truth. Well, I will say this, I interviewed about 36 top doctors, including Nobel laureates and top immunolo immunologists around the world and infectious disease experts. And, and those that I asked the question regarding the origins of the virus, they 100% of them said with absolute certainty, may, maybe two of them said it's very doubtful, but the rest of them said with 100% certainty, there is no way if, if the, you look at the particular makeup of this virus, that it was uh, something that uh, was created from nature, that it would, had to be manipulated at the hands of man to some degree. All of them agreed with that, um, that it would take many, many years and to achieve what the mainstream was trying to suggest that it, it, how it originated. And so, you know, with David's findings, what, what he has, what he had shown in pandemic indoctrination was that, that there was uh, some concerted effort to hide the, the fact that they were conducting gain of function research. He had the paper trail of how much money had been spent that had been moved through a company called EcoHealth Alliance and where it ended up uh, in Wuhan at the lab. And so, you know, that's, and, but that's really as, as important that is, as that is to know that the, it's where the origin of the virus originated. You know, it's, it goes so far beyond that. And the next, we are, I will announce right now, producing Plandemic 3. And that wow. one's going to go even further into really the origin of who's behind this and why, because, as I've noticed, as people have started to wake up to realize that something's going on here, the one question that they always ask me is, but, but who's behind this? And the, some of the people that, you know, you mentioned they're, they're worth billions, hundreds of billions. You, you know, is this really about money? And the answer is for the most part, no, the people, at the, <clears throat> excuse me, the people at the top of the pyramid, they can just print their own money. Mm -hmm. um, the, it's, it's really about ultimately creating a, a state of dependency uh, through which you can then control the human population. And, and we're going to go deeper and really show the trail on how that works, uh, the history of that and how it's led us to this moment right now and through psychological diversion has, has literally brainwashed uh, a great deal of our population into um, fighting for these, these very wicked forces uh, unknowingly, unwittingly. Yeah. Is it your best guess that it's the majority of the population who's been brainwashed with the propaganda? Or what? No, what's the percentage? No, no but it, it appears that way. Uh, the, the people who are awake and aware, at the very least, that something is going on, we are the majority. 
and but it okay. because be, because the media has there's you know one particular side of the media owns 95% of everything from print radio television it then it just gives this illusion that everyone thinks this way and because they've done such a great job at, in infiltrating so many major organizations and corporations we see the ads on on TV but it's only really representing one side uh, of this uh, situation. And so the appearances is that everybody has, has been brainwashed into this. But uh, I think we're perhaps at one point, maybe close to 50-50, but the past couple of years have really, uh, every single day, tens of thousands of people wake up because they see the absurdities and there's, they're, they're uh, grounded enough to, to look at these things and just say, these, this doesn't make sense. Like, we're, are we really going to, to eliminate the word mother? And start calling birthing person to our mother. Like, is this is this something that we we're going, going to agree on? Whether, you know, it's even people who are complete support of LGBTQ plus uh, communities, they're they're looking at that, saying, I don't know that that's healthy, and that we want to do that because we love our mothers, we respect our mothers, and we and we're starting to see that there's maybe another agenda here to get us to lose everything and disconnect with everything that is most valuable to us, to, to hate men, because men are the ones that go to the front line for the most part and fight for the country, to really chop at the pillars of everything that's important to us so that we're ultimately weakened and have nothing to fight for. Mm -hmm. And people are waking up to realize that that's probably part of this, uh, this grand agenda. Interesting. So what uh, what is the schedule for Plandemic Three? The release of it, and it's going to be similar to Plandemic Indoctrination. It will be similar in its length um, and its brevity. We have just started that this project uh, last week, hmm. and so we're looking at a, about two months of production, and then probably two months of post production, and and that which is very very fast for a documentary. But we, sure. we created indoctrination in just a little over three months, and. And I don't know that that's ever been done before, but I, I really hats off to my incredible team and some of my team members I've been working with for 10, 15 years. And so we really know how to work with each other and, and stay out of each other's way and be there when it's necessary and to allow things to get done uh, on, on the fast track. And so we're, we have it on the fast track. And, but again, it's, there's, it's, it's, a, there's a lot of research that has to be done. Anything yeah. that I release at this point is under the microscope of global media. And so it has to go through all kinds of channels of verification before we'll even uh, dare put it into our movie and release it to the public. Yeah, we want to discuss that because you review that in the book, the steps you took to protect yourself and, and the results of what happened after that. So it's an interesting story. So I suspect so it sounds like the pandemic three will be out before the holidays. Yes, that's the goal. Okay, good. So uh, why don't you discuss because you learned a lesson with the original pandemic and pandemic two, you or indoctrination you attempted to counter some of the rebuttals that were being thrown at you in discrediting campaigns. So maybe if you could summarize your strategy and then the responses to that afterward and how they still use it to discredit you. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. We're going to take that further in pandemic three, because it's, it's actually kind of fun. It's a fun challenge for our team here to, to create something in real time to uh, pandemic two, we were able to, observe the reaction to pandemic one and then respond to it and so mm -hmm. we were able to show that a lot of the critiques perhaps all of them uh, including the fact checkers we were able to show what they said about the film 
and then what the facts are and actually show it on screen because we know that most people don't have the time to actually do the research. So, so we showed the patents, they would say, oh, this didn't exist. This didn't happen. Money wasn't moved here. These people are liar. They're all, they're all conspiracy theorists. And then we would show, we would show the paper trail on the screen and say, this is the patent. This is where it went. Here it is. Um, and then after the, uh, the movie was released, we actually went out, uh, David Martin mostly was the one that went straight to these um, critics and said, I, I, I've read your review and would you like to debate this? And then while I was online um, hosting a $10,000 challenge to anyone that can prove one claim from the movie inaccurate, and I had my money in an electronic escrow account and said, if I, that's all you have to do, one, one major claim in the movie, prove it wrong and you, and you win my money. And, and people tried and, you know, but they would give us these phony fact checker reports and we would debunk them. And, and so they just went away after about six months of me offering that challenge. I really wanted to show people that it's, you know, that this is, there's, there's a whole other world behind that, the, the smokescreen of propaganda that, uh, that is used to get people to ignore important information. And so with, with Plandemic 3, we're going to go further now. Once again, in real time, we're going to say, here's what we said. Here's what they said about us. Now here's what they're finally saying one year later. Literally every claim that they called Judy Michaelbitz crazy about, that they said I was a propagandist and a fame-seeking whatever they, you know, they used to smear me and Judy and David, uh, we're able to now say, now they're allowing it to be said in the press. The very companies, big tech and big media that, that said, we can't say this because it's disinformation and it's harmful and it's going to hurt people. Uh, now they've released their ban on that. And now they're saying it. Now they're allowing it. And you even have these crooked media companies acting like they believe that all along. Oh, yes, we oh, we've never denied the fact that this may have been man-made. Yes, you did. You totally did enough that you actually, you know, yeah. destroyed this distribution of my film and, and a lot yeah. of people's lives over mentioning that claim. And now they're trying to get ahead of the liability. Yeah. So do you, that, that's been an interesting uh transition in the last few weeks or months uh, that they've actually accepted that as, as truth or are not denied it anymore. So do you think that's what what impact do you think that's had on the transition from the people who were had swallowed the propaganda and were fairly significantly brainwashed to moving them more into the direction to understanding that there's a, there's a massive cover up going on here and something uh, that's far deeper than apparent ostensibly from what they're saying. Well, that's what I mentioned earlier when I said every day, every week, tens of thousands of people are waking up. And thanks to the media for their continued buffoonery with these points that they're making, that that they they just jump out, react, say something, and then it's you know next week or next day is proven inaccurate. Every time they do that, they're getting less viewers, which is why their their viewership has just plummeted over the past four years. And so I'm, I'm grateful that they keep making those extreme mistakes like that, because it really is creating a grand, grand awakening. And I, I know that from kind of being in the center of the storm, I get messages every day on my mm -hmm. cell phone of people that were attacking me just six months ago that are that will in their own way. You know, the, I think the ego is so strong mm -hmm. that people don't want to say, hey, I'm sorry. Like I've had very few people. I, ha I have a few people who have said that. But um, but the most of them will will try their underhanded apology just by sending me a link and saying, hey, man, is uh, isn't this what your movie said? 
And I say, yeah, it really is. What do you think about that? Wow, it's, it's interesting, man. So I guess you got that one right. Yeah, well, we actually got a lot right. And, and I'm glad to see that you're you're waking up to that. So they'll send me these messages every day. And that, that's an indicator for me, too, that they're they're really waking up. And as you mentioned at the top of this interview, that I came from the pretty extreme progressive uh, politics. And, and I know that there's a lot of people that I know very well, a lot of commentators and journalists, and, and I would say really hardcore progressive activists out there that uh, I'm observing that their narrative is, is changing dramatically and they're starting to wake up to what felt like an outlandish conspiracy theorist that there truly is a culture of, of people, whatever you want to call it, if the globalist or, or whatever it might be, the elite, there's different names that are knowingly not just out of incompetence. That's the thing that the people, that's kind of the stage when people start to realize that something's not right. The, the first thing they go is, okay, Anthony Fauci must just be incompetent. We need to fire him and get rid of him. He's incompetent. No, it goes much further than that. It's not incompetence. They're doing exactly what they planned on doing and they're just being found out. Uh, but it's always these, if you notice, it's always these Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci characters they put up front that mm -hmm. uh, I'll even say as the filmmaker, I had a hard time because I want to believe the best in people. I really, I was raised that way. And I want to, I know that we're all born good. And a lot of people that go bad, it, it, typically something happened along the way and someone got under their heads or an event took place that had them disconnect from their nature. So I always want to believe that uh, the best in people. And, and so it took me a long time before I, I would be willing to say anything out loud about Bill Gates or Anthony Fauci. Fauci, because I thought, if I'm wrong, and these men are really trying to help the world, if that's the case, even if they're doing it in a horrible way, I, I don't think that it's, it's, I have the power to actually slander somebody in that way. And I don't, I don't want to be that person to do that. If they're really trying their hardest, I hope somebody educates them so they can do a better job. But I, as I delved into this uh, with a really incredible team of researchers and saw, started to really learn the history of, of Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci and, and many, many others, they're just the, for, you know, the people at the forefront of this, the faces of it, um, I realized that, that there, was, there has to be at this point a, a real knowing of what they're doing and a plan behind what they're doing. And as mm -hmm. soon as I started looking there, that's when I saw all, every bit of indication, every bit of evidence pointed in one direction, and that is uh, they're fully aware of what they're doing. And it's, that's the sad part of this. Yes, they are. And they indeed, they've compiled quite a bit of power in this. And I'm wondering what your views are since you've been full-time in covering all these details for the last almost two years now, uh, what your projection is for the future. It seems like this is a David versus Goliath scenario, certainly in the uh, level of power that they have, uh, especially when you look at some of the global monopolies like Google that control literally 93% of the searches in the world. Yeah. So that, and most people get their information from the internet and they believe the results of their search. So when you have that power and control, it makes it a bit, a bit difficult. So. I'm glad your sense is that we have the majority of the people who are beginning to understand this, this scenario, but still it's a fairly significant challenge. And I'm wondering what your view is as to what you see, how this playing out is there, will there be some necessary technological innovation like a decentralized internet where you can't have these few number of, uh, organizations really control the information flow? Or is it, I mean, what, what, what do you think the, the, the scenario is in the next year or two? Or what's the end game to, to uh, 
I guess, stop this and, and, and develop a resistance to what their plan is? Well, my prediction comes from understanding the history of human mythology, really. So it's not a guess, but it's, it's understanding as a filmmaker. I've had to study the work of Joseph Campbell and, uh, mm-hmm. and the, really the history of, of the stories that we've been telling ourselves since the cradle of civilization the, and, and beyond, really the, the, the stories that are etched on the cave walls to the campfires. And when you understand that there's, that there's a primal narrative that emerges whenever we try to f- figure out our, our existence, then we can understand what stage, what act we're in right now in this modern age. And that is, you know, all of the movies, if you, if you really think about the formula that's, that goes into a screenplay of any modern movie and any classic iconic movie as well, um, there's the reluctant hero mm-hmm. that is faced with a life or death challenge and they go in search of someone, a savior, someone to, to, to save themselves or save humanity or, or whatever it might be, um, to learn that they are the one, that the force is within, and that they have to rise up, and that it was actually them, as I hope he say, we are the ones we've been waiting for. And so it's we're in that point right now. My prediction is that we haven't quite reached the fiery crescendo yet, that um, all movies feature uh, in some to some degree in their third act. And so we have, it will get, my prediction is it will get worse before it gets better. We're going mm-hmm. to have a, a succession of attacks, if everything from cyber attacks to food, food chain attacks to everything to do with our, our power and per- perhaps even some form of war that we'll be engaged in. But the end of that story is that we win. I have no doubt about that. Mm. And everyone that I know that really studies this deeply has the same conclusion is that we, we, in the end, this is the human story. We are the David against the Goliath and the Goliath is incredibly powerful, um, but will be defeated. And so it requires us to do the one thing that we're all afraid to do right now. And that is to stand up and to speak out. And the way that they have scared Americans, a powerful one of you know, mm-hmm. the most powerful nation on the, on the planet with very advanced think, thinkers on the planet, but they have frightened us. And, and one of the ways that they do this is they determine and they, they create a narrative that anything that looks this way, anything that looks patriotic, anything that looks like people in the street fighting for freedom, that's a right wing thing. That's a Donald Trump thing. That's a white supremacy thing. And so nobody wants to be associated with, with white supremacy or anything like that. So they just stay out of the streets. And so we have to overcome that. Then you have the people that are just, they just don't want to be canceled. They don't want to lose their job. But if they knew that how serious, if they really could wake up to the, the depth of the seriousness of what we're going through right now, they would realize that if they don't stand up, they're going to lose their job in a, in a much more tragic situation. And so it's- it, it's well, they'll re- lose a lot more than their job. That's, that's what sure. I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, and yeah. so it's, it's really become incredibly- um, uh, urgent right now that that we get past that. When you look at our social media and you see that they have literally, you know, they've created little buttons of likes, you know, mm-hmm. and, we're all, and all these people, they got us. All of this is 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 this um, psychological subversion, right? So we're that they've gotten us so addicted to to behaving in a way that will generate likes that we don't want to step out to do anything that will cause us to be disliked. 
And so we have to get over that. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable. We have to be willing to let our friends go. If, if we lose friends over us simply speaking our truth, whether it's per, you know 100% accurate or not, then they're not our friends in the first place. So we have to get over that, rise up, speak out, deal with the, the attacks that come. Because I, I will say to people, somebody who has received a lot of attacks and still gets, uh, last week, you know, Vice just wrote another hit piece on me. So New York Times, Vice, Rolling Stone, major publications writing hit pieces on me, trying to get my book taken down already and hasn't, hasn't even been out yet. You're the only person besides myself and my publishers who has read the book, yet somehow Vice and these other organizations are telling everyone how horrible the book is. And it's not even out. There's no way they could have read it by now. I did not send it to Vice. <laughs> I, I'm sure you didn't, but the but the point is is they 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 don't want that information out there, and so I say thank you, Vice, uh, thank you, Media Matters, and George Soros, and the people mm -hmm. who are out there uh, actively trying to get people to protest Amazon, which I wish we didn't have to sell the book on Amazon, but mm -hmm. to reach the people in this particular age right now, until what you had mentioned is it definitely is being created, which are a lot of decentralized. Uh, technologies that will allow us to have the power of the technology in our hands as the people. Um, until that stuff is ready, we, we're still at the mercy and dependent upon uh, you know, Amazon and other organizations like that. And that is part of the plan. And that's part of even COVID's plan was to kill all the mom and pop shops, all the personal businesses, so that we're all dependent upon these, these multinational corporations that are under the control of these same, the same people that are behind all of this so that um, they can then make sure that all of our supplies, everything we need to get by in our lives are controlled by people that are controlled by them so that they can then control our lives. And that's really what this game is about. All right. So let's get back to your book, the one that Vice discredited without I mean, having obviously read it. Um, and it highlights some of the things that reinforces what you just said. And one of them is the discrediting and the, the ostracism of people for seeking to agree with the truth. And I think the most egregious example in the book is Fauci. Uh, interestingly, he's the topic of, of another book written by Bobby Kennedy that probably will be out in the fall is The Real Truth About Tony Fauci. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable, unbelievable compilation of information. And, and you, did, you went, did a deep dive also, but it, ultimately the, Fauci was responsible. He's been in office or in his position for five decades. I mean, that's he holds the record. He beats Jagger Hoover. And, and during those five decades, he's collectively responsible for distributing, and I didn't know this, a trillion dollars of funding through the NIH or NIAD. So a trillion dollars. And it, it's, he has total control over that. And it goes to these investigators, almost all pharma. And you, you, and you die. What I really appreciate about your book is you go into the history of medicine that uh, you're not the first one to do it, but you put it together very cleverly, how yeah. basically it all started a century ago, a little bit more, maybe 120 years when Rockefeller and Carnegie got together and, and put together the Flexner Report and a sent that started the beginning of the end of American medicine and, and shifted them over to the pharma model. And uh, I actually haven't read the second part of Bobby's book, which goes into that. So I don't know what it is, but the first half was brilliant. Um, but, but clearly in the last 50 years, it's been Fauci that's been leading the charge on destroying American medicine. And what I, the, what I wanted, the point I wanted to bring up, and, and, I'll, and I want you to respond to, is how anyone, 
who went against what he said was demolished, literally destroyed. They could have been the most credible, professional, respected expert in their field, the entire world. There's many examples of this. Mm -hmm. They had integrity, they had the truth, they went against them and they got destroyed. And that it, it's, it's almost like what they're doing in North Korea. You know, anyone who disagrees, they, they do public execution. So that, you know, provides a scenario where you really feel threatened for your own life to go out there. So, so if you can expand on that and, and bring out some of the great points you made in your book, it'd be great. Absolutely. Well, as a younger man in my 20s, I watched my brother suffer from AIDS for a number of years no. until, until suddenly a miracle drug hit the market. No. <laughs> and my brother's gay community warned him and my mother. They said, be very careful. This drug is, we think it's hurting people and not helping them. And yet when they would turn on the TV and see, you know, Fauci, you know, embraced by Elton John and Liza Minnelli and all these incredible, you know, superstars of that era, they would say, well, there's, there, you know, my mom and my brother would say, well, obviously that this man knows more than these, my brother's friends. They, it's, we have to listen to this prominent doctor who has won the support and love of, you know, the, the most influential people on the planet. He, he, he must be telling us, you know, the right information. And so they decided to put my brother on the uh, medicine that uh, is called AZT that later was proven to do the exact opposite of what it was supposed to do. And that it's, that is it destroyed the T cells and killed people. And all the while there were medicines just like today, same game, game book medicines that were out of patent that were very inexpensive mm -hmm. that could have saved my brother and and millions of other people uh, but those were kept from the people and so that the distribution of azt which anthony fauci went out and you know recommended it strongly for pregnant women and it it destroyed children. and children and destroyed lives and so i saw this <clears throat> happen and then when my brother finally succumbed to AZT and died, my mother, who was a cancer survivor, was so guilt-ridden because she was one of the ones saying, no, sweetheart, we have to stay on this. The doctors say, your personal doctor and this Anthony Fauci, who is one of the top doctors in the world, you know, they say, it's, I know it's making you sick and I know it feels like it's, it's, it's making things worse, but, but as they all say, you're, gonna, you're going to get better. If you get off of this, you're going to die. Well, the medicine killed him. And my mom, as a cancer survivor, was so overcome with the guilt of that, that she died 36 days later. Mm. And so that was the wake up call for me to watch. And, and ultimately what my mom died of was bad cancer treatments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and sure. It's another strategy they use. In a whole other thing. And so, you know, seeing this as a young man had me become very skeptical of, of that area of Western medicine. I want to say that I'm a, I'm a lover and a supporter of medicine and of mm -hmm. doctors and the promise of medicine. But I understand that it, it, when the medicine is being regulated through such corrupt industri industries, that we have a serious problem. And so I saw that at a very young age and it stayed with me forever. But at that time I was just, you know, I was really devastated by the loss of my, my brother and my mother all within a month. And so I just wanted to forget about it. We didn't have the internet the way we do now. And so uh, I just, I just went on with my career and just, just put it all behind me. And then lo and behold, 
when I met Judy Michaelvitz, our first meeting, she was actually letting me know that she was writing a book and that it might be, you know, might be something I want to make as a movie. And as she started to explain to me and pitch to me what her book was going to be, she mentioned Anthony Fauci. And I thought, man, I, God, I know that name. And it gave me a really mm-hmm. strange feeling. I was, I was like, I remember my brother's friend saying this little Napoleon guy with a Napoleon complex. I remember hearing over overhearing one of my brother's friends refer to Anthony Fauci as a, as a little man with a Napoleon complex. And I went, is that that little Napoleon guy from the eighties? Like, let me look at this. And I looked into it. And I went, Oh, it's the same guy that was overseeing that. How is he still, how is he still in business? Because he killed, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in, in Africa and all over the world. And, and he's still at somehow the helm of American medicine. This is just bizarre to me. And that's when I started to look deeper into the situation and, and, and it, uh, you know, didn't, wasn't that big of a leap for me to, to consider that something nefarious was taking place because I already knew the history of Anthony Fauci. Yeah. And I, I think it's so critical and important to understand this because it provides you with a basic framework of the foundation to understand that it could happen with the AIDS epidemic. This is just mm-hmm. a simple repeat play that they're, they're instigating. And, and you're right. It, uh, Bobby in his book uh, had the data and the facts that it was a third of a billion people that died from ACP, a third That's of right. a billion. That's exactly right. Yeah. And it killed more people than HIV did, because if you, if you, if you use these common inexpensive drugs, it's exactly what the strategy that we're trying to do here with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and zinc and vitamin D, quercetin, you know, that were totally banned and suppressed, which they interestingly didn't, didn't have the capacity to do as easily in the 80s, but they, they, they just cleverly ramped that, 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 uh, that uh, intervention up dramatically. So, yeah. but, but then the other thing with that too, is that you have a, a tremendous example. One of the people I was thinking of when I mentioned discrediting the scientists was Peter Duisberg, who was the mm-hmm. most prominent virologist in the world in the 80s. Number one, he became an AIDS denier, said, HIV does not cause AIDS. It is not the cause of AIDS. Totally contradicted Fauci. So when they would try to go on a national TV and debate or platform, every time Fauci had enough influence to cancel them out. And and he totally disagreed with the position of AZT. Well, then then we have Kerry Mullis. Well, uh, Kerry Mullis invented the PCI. It's a whole other story. But and, and and he also had the same conclusion regarding AIDS when he started to look into it. Oh, he yeah, came to the, he, he came to the same conclusion. He did, but he didn't get as discredited as Do- Duisberg did. I mean, yeah. Duisberg was just an absolute. Everyone thought he was nuts, and he happened to be the brightest virologist in the entire world. And it, what the interesting part of the story is that later on, after he'd been totally discredited and and squashed. His Fauci's team came up with a proposal to him. They wrote a paper and put Duisberg as one of the lead authors and said, listen, you sign out of this paper and agree that you were wrong and everything will be turned around. You get everything back. And you know what Duisberg said? No way. Mm-hmm. No way. He had integrity. There's so few people like that. Well, that's, so that's, people- that's really what Judy Michaelvitz did. Yeah, Absolutely. And we've, and we've yeah. got a few others that are standing up, like the guy, Robert Mueller, the guy who invented the MRA and the NA technology, goes, <laughs> goes out on some videos and interviews, says what he says, and they Malone. take him, they, they rewrite Robert him out. Yeah, Robert, Robert oh, Malone. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Robert Malone. Sorry about that. But they take him out of the history books. They rewrite mm-hmm. him out. He didn't, he didn't invent it anymore. Yeah, I know. I know. And they're trying to, other people are trying to claim the Nobel Prize for it. And yeah, it's really, it's really crazy. Um, 
the, I mentioned the Kerry Mullis thing because I think it's very important for people who don't understand this. So uh, as you said, Dr. McCullough, Kerry Mullis is a man who invented the PCR test, won the Nobel Prize in biochemistry for the PCR test, went out very publicly many, many times to say his invention should never be used to detect a virus, that it was never meant for that. And the reason is, is that it's easy, easily manipulated, that it's, it's based upon cycles. And if you go over too many cycles, you can find uh, that any virus in anybody. And and that so it was too easily manipulated. And oddly enough, he died seven months before the pandemic was announced. And then another man came out, the man who actually created the organization called Rethink AIDS. And he came out in defense of the late Kerry Mullis to say that he's very um, concerned that his invention is being used the way it is because Kerry said it should never be used to detect virus because you can cheat the, the um, case count too easily. And then that man died. Inst right after he made those public uh, announcements. So there's there's a lot to be investigated there. Now, is that all coincidence? Perhaps, perhaps it is. It just, mm -hmm. you know, untimely deaths that happened, you know, but it's interesting to think that they would use this man's test, the man who won the Nobel uh, Prize for it, that it, they would have used it for. If he, if he were alive, he would, if anyone knew Kerry Mullis, he was very vocal, mm -hmm. um, did not pull back at all when he spoke about Anthony Fauci, he called him a moron, said, I'll say that to his face. He knows nothing about medicine. And and he is a bureaucrat, 100 percent. What is he doing in that position? It's, a you know, and, and so he would have been out front. So it's interesting that 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 the choice to use the PCR test to manipulate the numbers and the man who invented it, who was against it being used that way, died right before the pandemic was announced. These things we have to look into, at least have an investigation just to see if there's anything fishy that took place there. Well, well, the, the problem with these investigations is the reach of the the powers that be and their influence over really suppressing all this type of investigations. I mean, they, they are in control. They really have the ultimate power and authority to, to uh, suppress any uh, sincere and authentic uh, investigation and evaluation. So yes. I, I doubt much would come of that. I really do. I mean, you, you, you could see it in a similar analogy in these dead doctors don't lie where clearly physicians were killed. It was pure homicide and they were initially attributed to a suicide. So, I mean, it's a common pattern, so. Yeah, we'll have it. We'll have some form of changing of the guards, I think, in the next few years, and uh, at least to the extent that I think some of these investigations will be allowed. And there's a few things that will be coming out this year that I think will will become bombshells. And if the media doesn't succeed in hiding them, I think it will uh, influence the okay. future of investigations. This is something that's gonna be revealed in Plandemic 3? Yes. Okay, great. Look forward to that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. So, um, so we didn't really um, address some of the or highlights that David Martin came together because he's re really brilliant researcher and uh, thinker and and very eloquent in being able to concisely summarize the um, evidence that is so profoundly supportive of the motivation behind this entire scam. So maybe you can summarize the highlights of that because you go in great detail in the book. It's fantastic. Well, yeah, I don't know if anyone can articulate it quite like, yeah, quite David. like David does. Yeah, <laughs> he remembers, it's it's incredible to me. We're, we, David and I have become really great friends and he's a, he's a very intimate part of Plandemic 3. And it just blows my mind that uh, he, he knows just about every patent number uh, <laughs> by heart. And he's just a computer in that way. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's so much that we're going to reveal in the next one. I really want to, we're going to answer the question together 
you know, of really what is the big picture behind this? And, and then we're going to also expose some of David's newest work, which is how to rebuild. How do we really rebuild? Mm. That's for me, that's, that's the most important thing that we can get mm -hmm. into right now. We're, we're creating new curriculums for schools. We're, we want to make sure that parents understand what's being um, injected into the curriculums of schools around the world. They're now attacking our youngest because when you do that, you know, for, mm -hmm. for decades, they, they've gone after people at the collegiate level, but now they're going after, you know, K through 12. And when you get in the heads of little people and you convince them that all of America is racist, that uh, white people are bad, that everyone is oppressed just by their skin color, that um, police are bad, what, you know, and, and to ultimately hate themselves, to just feel guilt and shame if, if they are, you know, if they have a pigmentation similar to ours. And so ultimately what that does is it leaves people in this, in this place of being easily controlled and subverted to what ultimately will look a lot like communism. Mm -hmm. And I know that when people say that word, we've all been wired to just think that that's, it's like saying the earth is flat, right? We just, there's a, there's a, a just an involuntary reaction that takes place. Uh, but call it whatever you want to call it. If you understand the history of, of the way that these other territories, these other nations have been overcome and, uh, and infiltrated by communist ideologies, you then take a look at what's happening here in America and you realize this is actually what's taking place here. You know, talk to people. I've, I've spent the last two years interviewing people from Cuba and Korea and Poland and Russia and all over the place, Venezuela, places that, that, that because people care, like the, the heart of humanity is good. And so when you approach them and you say, we have this, this, this structure, this, this system called socialism, but it's different. If you've heard anything bad about socialism, it's not that one. That's mm -hmm. what got me to go on tour with Bernie Sanders. Cause I, you know, he threw the word democratic in front of it. And I thought, yeah, yeah. oh, people powered socialism, where we take care of each other as somebody who was raised by a single mother on welfare, I, that struck me. And I thought, this is yes, this is what we need. I don't want the government to handle our lives, but if it's democratic and we can then say, no one should be at the bottom, let's help these people, you know, and, and perhaps nobody should be at such a power of the Jeff Bezos that they can, you know, really do what he's doing now, which is a monopoly of Bill Gates. His whole life has been about monopolizing the industries. And so, should they be that powerful? Well, I believe in freedom. So I also don't want to limit somebody from becoming successful, but should we limit the, the, the possibility of monopolies such that it's not just one man that's controlling everything? Because if that one man goes crazy, then we're all screwed. Yes, perhaps we should find some kind of regulations around that. So I got excited about this idea of democratic socialism. And it wasn't until I was on the road for a, a few months with the Bernie Sanders campaign that I started to interview all these people. And I'm, you know, as a, I, I edit most of what I shoot, I'm one of the editors, at least. And so I'm always thinking like, did I get an answer to my question? So that when I get back in the editing bay, I get a, I, I have a, a full piece a totality that I can create a story out of. And I, I, I was not getting that from my answers on the road with Bernie, there are people that would just, I would ask them about what, please explain democratic socialism and how it's different. And, and they would just skirt around it and give me all these other, you know, long explanations that it would leave me going, I don't, I don't think I have what I need to edit this piece. What's going on here? I, I never experienced that to such a degree before. And then I started to just kind of uh, 
get curious and talk to the younger people on a personal level, sometimes with the camera not even rolling and just like for, find out where, like what headspace are, are you in and where, what attracts you to this campaign? And, and then a lot of them started opening up to me because at that point I'd become very public in my support for Bernie. So they trusted me and they thought I was one of them and I was. And I start to say, well, ultimately democratic socialism will lead to a, a new form of communism. And I would say, what, 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 is, what do you mean? What, a new form? What does that look like? And they couldn't explain why it was different. They said, well, it's just, it's, it's communi communism in that it's, it's, there's no top down. It's, it's just, you know, everyone's even and there's equality and it just sounded beautiful. But I said, but you do realize you're talking about communism and it's never worked any place. It's just leads to genocide and, and, and serious oppression of the people. And you're trying to solve oppression and and corruption with a model that actually breeds that i don't i don't understand please help me understand this and nobody could explain it but they were a hundred percent for it and that scared me because i thought there's some something going on here in this collective mindset that has people not even fully aware of what they're saying such that they 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 they, they believe in something that they don't they don't even know the history of it and so that's when i started to really question my support and and I stepped off the tour after Philadelphia. I said, I just can't I can't be part of this anymore because I think that there's the idea of helping people, of helping all people, all colors, all social status, all classes is that appeals to me to this day very, very much so. And I'm, I, I, I would imagine to you and to everyone listening to this, we all want that. But the idea that we're going to do it through a, a, a structure similar to communism, I think is insane. And when you understand the amount of young people that have come out of college actually thinking that it is, it is benevolent, um, that's what it's gonna take us uh, at least 10 years to overcome that mindset. And mm -hmm. it's almost good that we're gonna, going to go through uh, more suffering, should I say, a, a worse time, because unfortunately, people need to see that. You can't just tell them it would be bad. Let's let's divert from this. They actually have to experience it. Like right now, people are experiencing. They thought Biden was going to come in and save the day, and now they're going, "What? Like what is going on here? What is going? There's the border's worse. Kids are being treated worse. There's there's sex trafficking happening with young people. There's, you know, the economy's collapsing. We're, we're we have new wars on the verge of new wars. We have, like the the promises that you made. Like what's going? They needed to see it to actually get that. Trump was used as a big boogeyman to get them to look away from what they're, it's just like a, ma a magician's, you know, the sleight of hand trick is watch this. I'm doing a magic trick while this hand is actually, you know, you know, whatever stash in the pocket or doing whatever it's doing. And so that's the game of politics is this look over here. Look how bad this guy is. Let's keep him in the press all day long. Look what he said right now. All, you know, all this trivial stuff. And then over here, we're, we're actually rearranging your lives, stripping away your civil liberties changing the structures of your curriculums in your schools. Um, and, and nobody sees it until it's finally too late until their children, their child comes home and says, you know, mommy, I don't, I don't, I wish I weren't white. I wish I weren't a man because they're, they're bad. And I want to be, I want to be transgender. I want to be whatever, just because I don't like this body that I, I got planted into. And that's a really, really sad thing that's happening so much out there. Yeah, no question. Uh, it's my suspicion that the vast majority of the people in this country don't really understand how bad communism is. 
because they re really just don't have a lot of exposure, very limited exposure to it. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with a North Korean activist, a, a young woman, 28 year old woman, Yanomi Parks. Mm -hmm. she, have you heard of her before? Yes. Okay. Are you, is she going to be in Plandemic 3? She should be. <laughs> it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because my editor yesterday, he, he couldn't remember her name, but that's who he was talking about. Now I realize yeah. he said we have to get her in the movie. So we have to get her. This woman yeah. is not. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> that's hard to think about it. We're bringing tears, where story is. But she, once you understand the depths of oppression <clears throat> of communism, as she clearly illustrates, that's what we need. We need that type of inspiration. Mm. It's, she's an amazing woman. Well, th thank you for caring so much. I really appreciate uh, you well, caring to Well, the problem to, to is, how are you going to catalyze and, and get people to be interested if they don't know what the end game is? Well, I'll tell you this. I, as a lot of people know, some, some of the, the viewers here might know, you know, I, I had, there's some controversy around my presence of being at the Capitol January 6th. Right. And, the, and the, the media had created a very serious uh, campaign to smear me to, to try to take down the, the, the pandemic guy. They sent uh, a New York Times had a videographer stalking me, trying to capture things that they could use um, out of context. And they did a really good job uh, featuring me in their, you know, the capital video that they had to and using a snippet of something that I said to make it appear that I was that I was for the insurrection and the violence and that I was part of the, you know, hang Mike Pence chant, all that was just absolute bull. I was there for one purpose. I wasn't, I had no, I didn't even go to the rally, the march or any of that. Um, I was there to film people from communist nations. There were a lot of them. They were there to, to raise their voice at their nation's capital, to warn the world. And I filmed people from about eight different nations that had escaped communism and every single one of them it's actually become a problem in the editing bay because you want when you edit something you want kind of a diversity of answers but everybody's answer was the same so i could just literally have each other i could have them finish each other's sentences because all of them said when we asked them where are you from because they'd have flags or clearly that they're, you know, we, we would look at somebody and say, where are, what, where are you from? I'm from North Korea. I'm from Cuba. I'm from Poland. I'm from, okay, great. Um, or China even. And we would say, why are you here? You know, and some of them would say, oh, because we think the election is unfair or whatever. Okay, cool. Why, why else are you here? I'm here because I'm an immigrant. My parents escaped here or I escaped here. And we're here to tell America one thing, wake up. Mm -hmm. What happened to us is happening to you. And we never thought in a million years, we thought when we finally got here as immigrants, that we would be safe in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And now we are witnessing everybody sleeping through exactly what we slept through, which allowed our entire nation to be overcome. And for us as a, as a people to be totally controlled by our government, you guys are giving so much power to your government. And that's, that's the one thing I want to say about socialism is ultimately what it does is it gives the government power. So now the government is giving you stipends, is giving, giving everyone, you, you know, all these progressives that talk about UBI and all these things. Gr great. I want people to have health care. Yes. Great. I want people to have great education. If our tax money is going to go anywhere, you know, paying for the next generation's education sounds like a great thing, but not through the, our corrupt government. That's the problem. 
is we, we have to create a, a true democratic way to allow these things to happen. Because if we think suddenly our government's gonna use these funds in a benevolent way that's going to advance our, our future and make us all healthy, then we're totally insane by this point because that is the government has never done that, at least not in my lifetime. Is it your perception that America is the last stand? America is the last stand. And Texas is a big part of it too, which is why I moved to Texas to, to be a, a functioning part of, of the incredible people that are here who have been raised with constitutional understandings that I knew nothing about had been a California boy. I was raised into a certain ideology and it had me see that anything that looked like that was, was, was a kind of a brand of America that I wasn't interested in. I wanted something new, something progressive, not understanding that it's the history of the foundation of what built this country that makes it so amazing. So I had to go back and re-educate myself into really what the forefathers said. And, and there's some in, incredible insights, incredibly profound, prophetic uh, words within our constitutions and beyond that that were, were set up to protect us against moments just like this. They knew this was coming. Mm -hmm. I, I, at a certain point, I was all for gun control, you know, mm -hmm. and, and now here I am in Texas, you know, going to the gun range and, and appreciating the fact that, you know, it, it was set up to protect the people from a tyrannical government, you know, and now I, I, I hope to never even ever have to use my, the, my, now that I have guns, I hope to ne never have to use them unless it's for sport of some kind. But the truth is, is we've reached a point. And when I talk with the, the gun shops and I've interviewed some of them for certain projects, they, they now tell me, they say, uh, most of our clientele are people from the left, people who were just anti-gun a few months ago that are now stockpiling because they realize that things have gotten so bad that if there's a civil war or whatever, or if there's a, you know, people come knocking on our door to inoculate our children with experimental toxins, you know, it's like, that's not what I'm about. I have to make that super clear. I'm not here to, you know, to, to raise a stand against authority or anything like that. But there are people that are, are feeling that, that they would go to that extent to, to, you know, should something like that take place. And, and so we start to understand the value of, of our constitution and the foundation, foundational principles that built this nation. And those are the things that's being chipped away at. I was raised with uh, out religion. And I actually will admit to you that I have lived most of my life with a lot of judgment about people who are religious mm -hmm. until this past year and a half. I have come to a great appreciation. I've, I've deep found a deeper um, understanding of my own fate and faith. And I have learned that the people that are that impress me the most, that are humble, that are not doing this for any kind of you know profit, but that are simply here <laughs> to stand for the organism of life, uh, all have some form of a foundation of faith in God in their lives. They talk about you know being led by God, being service to God, and it's really opened my eyes and most importantly my mind and heart to looking past the judgments that were instilled in me being a California boy to appreciate better. Now I'm taking my sons to church every now and then to say, I want you to learn this. I want you to be around people that, that believe in something greater than themselves, you know, whatever that is. And I even, you know, I even, I have a lot of I very intelligent atheist friends. And when I get into deep conversations with them now, I used to think, oh, they don't believe in God. 
now I realize, no, it's, we all believe in some form of God. Cause when you really talk with a, a very intelligent atheist, they'll talk about nature and life and the, 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 just how incredible the, the, the system of biology is. And when they, they speak about it with such reverence that I, as they're speaking, I, I think, well, that's, that's God. That's, that's, you're talking about being mystified by some kind of, by the creation of mankind and the creation of all, all living things. And, and you don't want to call it God. And I appreciate that, but, but we all need to wake up to realize that when we think that we are the dominant force, then we do things like Bill Gates does. And like Anthony Fauci does. And at this point, after knowing what I know now, having done the, the depth of research that I've done and studied other people's uh, research, really, you know, professional researchers, uh, I now really deeply consider that there is some entity of of darkness of evil that's that's behind mm -hmm. this agenda because it's the only thing that explains to me how people could knowingly allow children to be raped and brutalized the way that they're knowingly just for political power i mean if that's not evil i don't know what is well along the same lines recommending vaccinations that are likely to kill injure or harm them when it's not even remotely necessary certainly goes into that component that, and I, that blows my mind that blows my yeah. mind that people can look at at, at the, the, the risk count and just say just say my child is not even in the category of being a risk at all and and as a parent not understanding that to the development of the natural immune system is probably one of the most precious things that that we can nurture in this in this in ourselves and in, in each other and for them to make that choice and pregnant women to make that choice and go there's no data out yet we've not we have no idea what the long-term effects are of this, but because the TV and these late night hosts are saying that it's immoral not to do it, I'm going to go roll up my sleeve and, and, and risk this, this child that I'm carrying in my womb. It, it, it absolutely blows my mind that any mother would, would take that chance. Well, it's, it doesn't blow my mind because they're so effective at the propaganda. They're, this is probably some of the most sophisticated propaganda in the history of mankind. Yeah. And, and the technology others support that. So I'm not surprised. Sam sadly disappointed is certainly an understatement. But uh, yeah. I, one of the important components that I, I'm curious as to, because you obviously done a lot of deep thinking of this, I'm curious to what your suspicion or belief, not beliefs, but might how this might play out in the end run. It, it, clearly, there needs to be a leadership here. And in Equally as clearly, that leadership can have nothing to do with a political party. It is totally independent of that. And the political parties are behind this because, you know, the, whoever's president clearly has no influence over, over rescuing us. That is, that is a false hope at best. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm wondering how, what's your, what's your suspicion is how this leadership is going to emerge and from what places? There's going to be multiple leaders. There's going to be communities. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really curious as to what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, it's a super great question. For, for me, one of the solutions is, it, it, you know, if we emulate our technologies, you know, they say life imitates art and art also imitates mm -hmm. life. And, and if, you, if you look at the direction of our technologies, our inventions, our innovations, for, for me, I've, begun, I'd be, I've learned to look at them as if they're blueprints and we're architects mm -hmm. and we start to develop something an idea comes through we start to sketch it and we see it mm -hmm. and it's 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 a it's a blueprint of something that we will be building and so if you look at our technology as the blueprint for human evolution you start to understand and you can compare it to things like um 
decentralization. So while our, all, everything that we've created, all of our technologies are centralized, mm-hmm. which means you know they're, they're, the servers are in one place. If you want to attack them, you attack them there, and then it goes down everywhere else. Blockchain allows for a decentralized technology. So that means there's bits of information spread about all over on, on um, servers all well, over the world. It, it, can be, it can be centralized, though. Blockchain, is, is, blockchain isn't intrinsically decentralized. Uh, it, is, it is for certainly Bitcoin, but for so you can a- adopt blockchain in the centralized manner. And that's what they're doing with central bank digital currency. Yes, yes, you can. But the, but, but the value of it is really the decentralization. And that's where we're, that's where, that, that's, that's where we're moving. And all the technologies that I'm involved in, the different platforms we're creating right now, um, I actually said I wouldn't be involved with them unless they weren't unless they were decentralized because otherwise you you spend a lot of money and other people's money and you do a lot of work and then it just takes a, a, a company like Google to to zap it and take it out of business like they did Parler. So I I think to emulate where we're heading with technology by looking at the possibility of decentralized leadership is something we really need to look at. So instead of having the president at the top of the pyramid that runs all of the nation, is it possible that we start looking at you know, our, our, you know, the, the communities, the communities we live in, the states that we live in, having their own leadership, agreeing collectively on their own policies that, that then it allows for us to see, like right now we're able to, as a look as a model, like what, what states did the best and the worst regarding the lockdown situation. And we are recognizing now that the ones who were more extreme on the lockdowns, they're in worse shape. It didn't improve their health. Uh, what it did was crash their economy. Their people are out of work. There's more crime. The people who who fought for defunding the police, crime has spiked 800 you know, percent. And we can look at these individual territories and learn from them and say, they did it this way. And so we should do it better learning from that. So it allows us to do that when everyone's doing the same thing, because we have a globalized regulation and everyone's doing the same thing. We don't have the models and the outliers to look at, to, to know, to build upon and, and to do it better. And so that's for that, for me, that's one thing, but the, one of the first things that we have to do is first come to grips with what's really happening to, to, to say the word communism, to understand that we actually have globalists that are working very hard to create a one world government. And I I remember back, I have been so allergic to conspiracy theories my whole life. I was programmed to just have a knee jerk reaction. When anyone would talk about the new world order just years ago, I would just, yeah, I would roll my eyes and step out of the room. And now I realize what that actually means. That's a one world government. And so one world government means now you can, one of the reasons we create wars and we've always created wars, we go in, we, we villainize their leadership and sometimes it's a lie. And we go in and we, we do a regime change. We, we blast apart their economy and then we, we give them aid with the US dollar. Now they're, and now they're dependent upon the US dollar. Now we control that nation, that's the game. And so then when you have a pandemic, now US says, if you don't play the game, if you don't do what we say we're going to do and follow the World Health Organization, this globalized, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, then then you're not going to receive the benefits and everything that you are now dependent upon and your people are going to suffer. And so that's the way they get everyone to comply. And so we need to identify that. We need to identify the people that are that are behind this. And we need to, in this, in, as strong as we get in the streets right now to to um, 
to protest against a, a wrongful police killing, we need to get into the streets and we need to peacefully use our, the power of our voice, the, the power of numbers to make sure that these people, to, that they first know we're aware of them and to find a way to get them out of their powers of position. And then we can start talking about new new systems. You know, I look at it all the time. I, I, I'm always looking at, you know, what, what, what would work? What could possibly work? And I, you know, I was thinking like, okay, here in Texas, what would work? You know, do we need the, the governor and all, all of that? Or, or, or what if we created, I like to boil things down to the micro, like in a, I've run companies. So how, how do we make those work in a new way? Well, if you can take, let's say, for instance, we take 1% of the population of Texas, 1%, and you elect a diverse person of that population. So somebody who understands the elderly, someone who understands engineering, someone who understands infrastructure, someone who understands uh, finances, medicine, all of that. And, and this 1% of this council is now the, the but they're, they're working with the people, hearing the needs of the people. That's one way to kind of decentralize it. So you're not just dealing with one corruptible governor, one corruptible mayor, um, or, you know, someone there, it's not always that they're just corruptible, but sometimes they're just terrorized into, into complying. So for me, that's what I mean by decentralization. You know, you do put the, the power in the hands of the people, but not all the people, because quite honestly, we have a lot of issues with democracy. I see the people, the way they're behaving out there. And I think, I don't want these people making choices on my life, you know? And so we have to find some way to, to create councils the way they do it in indigenous cultures of trusted people who are educated, who are perhaps their job, they get paid and they do nothing else but, and they, they're also, um, they're willing to be under complete, you know, surveillance is a tough word, but, but to be completely transparent such that we can uh, ensure to the best of our uh, abilities that these people aren't doing side deals and becoming corrupt um and and so it's almost like they're an anonymous uh a council like yeah. are we willing to look at new systems like that perhaps and activate that in the next 10 or 20 years i i think we should at this point because all the other systems are failing us have you ever heard or read the book more equal animals i have not obviously a derivative work of uh brave new world or yeah so the uh, it was written by the founder, the creator of a blockchain cryptocurrency called uh, crypto asset called EOS, which is not a pretty, which is not terrific cryptocurrency, but nevertheless, it's a pretty profound idea. The guy's a great thinker, and I would encourage you can get the book for free on his website. Okay, uh, but it's uh, it pro, it essentially provides a a strategy, uh, a proposal of how you could actually implement blockchain technology to be truly democratic. And it's uh, pretty clever, actually, and it, and it doesn't allow for any uh, corruption or and it, and it really gives everyone a, a, a simple, single, reliable vote. I mean, the, the to say that our current voting system is anachronistic is, is a very serious understatement. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got technology that could solve this. It's just a matter of uh, adopting and applying it. So that, that's something I would encourage you to look at, because I do think maybe it's not that work, but some derivative of it, it could be potentially useful. So thank you. I'll check that out. I definitely yeah. want to, more, in, in plan yeah. to make three, we're going to, the third act is going to be all solutions. Yeah. This is, and a, so it, that would, that sounds like a good one to look into. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're kind of like approaching the end. So I'll give you a chance to summarize it, but uh, I, uh, 
I'm really grateful for your work, your commitment, your sharing, your honest journey. Uh, it's a real catalyst for, for creating a documentary with a billion views. I don't know anyone who's done that personally. So uh, that is an amazing testimony. That'll, that, that trumps any bestseller in my book. You've changed, obviously, many hundreds of millions of people views on this and you've been a major catalyst for really helping people wake up and become inspired to to take this action that's going to be required to preserve because we're to have america preserve the freedom because we're the last stand we lose it here the whole world's gone the whole world Mm -hmm. that's a big responsibility it is it is, and that's not hyperbole whatsoever no, at all. America, as nothing. you said earlier, America is the last stand, and we need to fight re- really hard for it and use our intelligence and and turn this ship around. All right. What so was it? What was the question that you were? The asked? question was: Any last point you'd like to make? Any summary of the book? And you know, and definitely would recommend people pick up a copy and when it's going to be out. Yeah, well, there's pre-orders available right now on Amazon. Pandemic, the book, and I will say that uh, the short story is. I didn't want the book to be written. I had no intention of being becoming an author, but after you become a, as silenced and banned as I am now, you start the, seeking any avenue to, to express your voice. And so when this opportunity came up, uh, my producer said, you know, uh, he, that he would manage it for me and, 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 and really make sure that, uh, you know, cause he knew that I didn't have time to do it myself. And, and so uh, the publisher ended up hiring a investigative journalist to be the writer of the, of the book and just do interviews. Um, so I didn't have to write the whole book. And the, what makes it so powerful for me was we learned about three months into the process that she was not on our side. And so, <laughs> um, and so my producer called me one day and he said, I have good news and bad news. And I said, all right, which he said, which one do you want first? And I said, give me the bad. And he said, um, our writer is not on our side. She thinks we're crazy conspiracy theorists. And I said, see, Eric, this is what I was talking about because I was really reluctant to do the book. And I said, great, wonderful. What's the good news? He goes, well, the good news is she thought we were crazy. She has now done the research. She just called me and said her mind is blown because she cannot find anything, any claim that was made that's inaccurate. And she's even going deeper now. And she's she's 100% on our side right now. So she's going to take her name off the book because she's afraid because her whole world is left-leaning journalism. She's afraid that she'll lose her job. She mm-hmm. doesn't want her name on the book now because she wants to be totally honest and share it. So it becomes this really interesting story of this woman who is waking up during the process of, co- of co-writing the book. And then I got so excited by that that I stepped in and said, I'll, I'll, I will co-write it with you and let's go even deeper. And so I'm really grateful for the work that she's done and, and the outcome of the book and, and that my producer, Eric, pushed me so hard because... Now it's an incredible testimony to uh, even a deeper story that we were allowed to tell in a seven-minute movie of Plandemic. It goes deeper into, into all of that and all of the agenda. But, but most importantly, it leaves us very hopeful about what's happening and, and points towards some pathways of how we can get out of this mess and, and, and our necessity to take personal responsibility for how we got here. We slept through this. The alarms have been going off for decades and, and we kept hitting snooze and it's time for us to, to uh, fully wake up and rise up. Yes, indeed. Well, I, I have, uh, I'm certain that the ghostwriter's perception was valid and, and, and applaud her for taking her name off the book because I've got personal confirmation of that. 
uh, I'm in the process of put together a book proposal and they said, oh, we'll go to some major publishers. He had an agent submitted what probably is the best book I've ever authored uh, with respect to its potential impact on human health. And even though I wrote a book on COVID that had 100,000 pre-orders, which will probably pale in comparison to yours, but that's a lot. There's not many mm -hmm. books that get that many pre-orders. It was wildly successful, in other words. Even with that, every single publisher refused it because of cancel culture. That's right. You know, so right. she was wise to take her name off that book. Yeah, I tried. I thought, I, I thought well, if you, if you don't give us your name, people might you know, question that, the authenticity of that. And I got on the phone with her and the publishers, and I really fought for having her name on it. And, and they, they backed her up. They said just what you said. They said, no, we, we yeah, want her to 100%. be able to continue working. And, and now, I, now I, I, I have to agree that, that um, it is probably the, good, the, the best move. On her and part, yeah. I, I think that she'll probably in the next year or two that she'll be able to come out and reveal herself self and say, I was the one. And now it's safe for me to come out. I really hold that vision that that happens. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for your work. Can I, can yeah, I, sure. can I say something to you before we go? Sure. I want to say thank you to you because I'm fairly a newbie in this world. Mm -hmm. I began studying vaccines before the, the birth of my first child. That was 10 years ago. So I, I knew about them, but I didn't go publicly, really publicly until pandemic. And so I'm a newbie in this world. And I came out at a time when the world was already questioning this, this subject. So even though it was definitely dangerous what I did, there were still a lot more people willing to listen to me. People like yourself who came out long before it was safe, long before anyone was willing to listen to it, long before we had any of the data on, on the history of the harm that's been done through vaccine trials, you were out there paving the way for people like me. So I just really wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you for making this possible. I couldn't have done what I did without people like yourself. Well, you're welcome. Uh, I appreciate you joining the team because we need we need a village to change this thing. We do. They've got this definitely David versus Goliath approach. So it uh, and you for playing a very important role. So thanks for what you're doing. Yeah, thank you.